everybody, I'm Rob Alley. And I'm Zeke Tucker, and we are the hosts of Cinema Snack Bar. It's the ultimate podcast for people who love movies and food. We're going to talk about the films we love and the foods that help inform them. Each week, we're going to watch a favorite movie, a bona fide classic, or an audience pick, and we're going to make or try a relevant food from that movie. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Cinema Snack Bar and visit us online at cinemasnackbar.com. And most importantly, smash that subscribe button. Let's go, fam. No, I'm not Jake Paul. <laughs> Let's go, family. Episodes release bi-weekly starting March 7th. We'll see you guys then. Get your popcorn ready. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings and welcome once again oh, to yes. the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I have JP Mosier. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? man? I am doing fantastic. We're back, folks, with season 11. 11. Woo! And you know we go epic on openers. We have a legendary bass player who's Come played on. with Miles Davis, Sting. But today we're talking Rolling Stones. And that's right. We have bass player of the Rolling Stones. Stick around for an interview with Daryl Jones of the Rolling Stones and others. But for now, Rob, kick it to a song. Just tell them whatever we're talking about. <laughs> this is It's Only Rock and Roll, parentheses, mm. but I like it, by the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, buddy. That's it's only rock. Uh, only. Okay. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do we're going to talk about apostrophes in a second. <laughs> so that's listed in that's listed on iTunes as it's only rock apostrophe, apostrophe in apostrophe, apostrophe roll parentheses, but I like it. By the Rolling Stones. All you English and grammar majors out there are like, this is my favorite episode. Yeah. we're going to talk about a lot of punctuation. And on, on Apple Music, that's how it's listed. I'm not sure on the original album. I think on the original album, it's just apostrophe in. But actually, if you want to get technical, apostrophe in apostrophe is the right way to abbreviate that. Because here's the rule on apostrophes, kids. An apostrophe takes the place of a letter or a group of letters that should not be there. Yeah. I mean, that that, that, that should, should be, be there, there that you're eliminating, right? right? So if you're eliminating the A and the D from uh -huh. the word and, there should be an apostrophe in both. Now, often that gets uh, abbreviated as just apostrophe N, and that's kind of a given thing. But just in if we're general, being technical. That's right. If you're being technical, it should have one at the beginning and end of that. And so that's when you're thinking about using an apostrophe, it's either that or... 
or it's making a word like possessive, right? Those uh-huh. are the two times that you, otherwise you don't need it guys. <laughs> and, and it, it, I'm trying to think of like, I should have looked up a list of like worst, worst, worst misuses of apostrophes. That's one of those things that just, just gets me. So anyway, <laughs> so two grammar things in just the title of the song, That's right. apostrophe and parentheses, which you guys know I'm a big fan of. The more you know star just went across the, the top. <laughs> That's right. So uh, yeah, that is only, it's only rock and roll parentheses, but I like it. By the Rolling Stones from the 1974 album, It's Only Rock and Roll, written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. At least that's what the credits say. More on that later. It went to number 16 in the U.S., number 10 in the U.K., number 17 in Australia, number 13 in Canada, number 6 in Ireland, and top 20 several other places. Um, so and, let's. And just so you guys know, me and Rob are both wearing sailor suits today. Yeah. And, and there are just bubbles galore. So many bubbles. <laughs> we actually are on a timer before the bubbles go over our heads. Right. So, um, and that is, of course, a reference to the, of course, you might not know. I don't know. This is, of course, a reference to the uh, sort of music video. It was like pre MTV. They weren't doing like full blown music videos yet, but there was like a promotional video that featured the band playing in sailor suits and bubbles filling the room like uh i don't know exactly how they did the bubbles probably you would like wash uh, like dishwasher detergent i, I guess it up and, so- and now i can't remember i didn't put it in my notes but i heard that there was one point where they thought that it was actually going to cover the drum set like yeah. completely cover the drum set yeah um and so that's that's what we're doing today the studio's full of bubbles and uh <laughs> once it gets up to our noses then you'll know you know that uh we start gurgling yeah it's- yeah. So let me say this as we before we kind of dig into the song and dig into the Rolling Stones as a whole. Um, I, I have come a long way on the Rolling Stones even since we started this podcast. Oh, yeah. In the last five years, you know, um, and we I can I can see myself saying something even as as early as the, like the first season of this show where basically I was like, I would have said I'm not a Rolling Stones fan. As of that recently, I would have probably told you. I don't really care much for the Rolling Stones. I've tried to get into them, but I, you know, but I can't. Um, but over the last few years, I've I've been able to let myself frame things differently. The way I, you know, listen to music that I didn't didn't get before, or even yeah. just flat didn't like before. And I'm a lot more open to. I'm a lot less likely now to just be like, I don't like that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you raise me up, notwithstanding, <laughs> right? right? But. Um, <laughs> But so the Rolling Stones is one of those things that I f- I finally just let it be what it is and yeah. not compare it to other things that I like yeah. or other expectations that I'm, I have. I'm glad you said that because I hate the Stones versus Beatles comparison. That, yeah. I hate that argument, and for that reason, I wouldn't let myself dig deep on the Stones because I'm like it's always Stones versus Beatles. Yes, let's cut. And this is a weird comparison, but it's like I don't want to look up stuff on the Celtics. I'm a Laker fan, right? But the Celtics were a good team. Let's just be honest. Like yeah. I could hate them, but. Uh, that that re- regard aside, I've learned more about the Stones in probably the past six months. You said even like the year mm-hmm. once we once I found out we were interviewing Daryl Jones and yeah. hanging out with him, I was like, okay, I'm gonna like give myself a chance on this. And I've listened to more Stones in the past six months than I have in my entire life. Yeah. Like if you like, I've listened to more Stones, no joke, in the past six months than I have in all the years prior. Yeah, um, yeah, it's just it's a it's a it's a thing where like. You can let go of some of that bias. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. can. Um, you just have to let yourself be okay doing it, you know. But one of the one of the things that I kind of frame language differently around music since we've started this show is 
I'm much less likely to say I don't like that or that's not good. Uh I'm much less likely to say that's not good and much more likely to say that's not for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And um, but also I just find myself able to listen to a lot more now since we've started this show. I find it much harder to be like just super critical of a band's music. Next for Uh, Rob is the doors. Now we're just going to get right. Well, yeah, we'll see. It's like, yeah, honestly, it's like, who's next? You Uh know what I mean? Like, what is the band that I've just never really connected with before that, you know, sooner or later I'm going to come around on because it's happening now. And I'm much more, I'm much more open, which I, I wouldn't have thought, but I guess in just researching, like, you know, we're talking about these people every week and we're, talking about like their real lives and stuff like that and i don't know if that's part of it that it's like humanizing these people and so i don't want to be like dude your music sucks (laughs) you know what i mean you suck at the thing you love the most yeah it's a hard thing to hear yeah right yeah um so maybe that's it i'm just you know i'm a softy and i don't like to hurt people's feelings and i know these people aren't listening but just in case but they might be you know you never know um, but anyway, so that's kind of where I am on the Rolling Stones. I don't want, you know, people who are like just discovering the show and they're in the middle of season one when I might've said something like, you know, I don't like the Rolling Stones or whatever. Hypocrite. Um, yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. Hypocrite loser. Liar. By the way, those of y'all that are listening back through one, I've told our listeners this, please don't start with one and come this way. <laughs> go start 11 and go backwards. Yeah. Like go 10, nine, eight, there 10, you go. six. That's the best way to get it. Cause you'll, you'll hear the unraveling of some of the jokes and yeah. we're all, we we kind of hit our stride about season three or yeah, four, maybe. You can hear the show devolve in real time. Um, <laughs> devolve. I like yeah. it. <laughs> so, all right. Now, let's get into some some coverage of the song and, and all that out of the way. Um, by the way, season 11. Goodness golly, gracious. Let, just let that be what it is. <laughs> Who would have um, ever imagined? We've, uh, we've, we, we have crafted possibly the most difficult way to make a podcast. That's right. Right? <laughs> like... Oh, dude, I can't tell you how many times that I tell people that we do it, and I, they're like, well, he's in Chattanooga, I'm in Henderson, and they're like, man, that's so great that it's a podcast that you can do everything virtually these days, right? Yeah. And we're like, well, I guess technically we could, <laughs> yeah. but, and they're like, interviews and everything? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. We're like, we're <laughs> like people who make handmade soap, you know? Right. Or like, yeah. we're like, there's a much easier way to do this, uh-huh. but we're still going to churn butter Absolutely. like in a in a in a basket That's in a right. barrel like the Amish, yeah. You know, it, it's like we have chosen to take a hard path as it as it <laughs> pertains to podcasting. But uh, golly, and hopefully it gives you that sweet flavor that you're looking for. That's right. We're that not going to compromise quality. Can't quite get this flavor anywhere else but the Mosier Farm. <laughs> um, all right, so let's let's dig in a little bit on it's only rock and roll, but I like it. And then we're going to talk some general stones, and then we're going to talk to a stone. What in we the done world? got us a stone, uh, <laughs> and he's an awesome dude. And and we got to have, you know, when we when we first interviewed him, it was pretty fresh on uh, like the passing of Charlie Watts. And so we get into that with him and get some very real, you know, moments with him um, because that relationship between a drummer and a bassist is always yeah. kind of special. So um, so we're looking forward to it. He, and he's got a cool documentary we're going to talk about. Um, so hang tight. We're going to talk to Daryl Jones in just a little bit. Um, OK, first of all, I'm not too cool to admit that I sometimes miscount the end of the verse into the chorus okay. on this song. Okay. Yeah. 
It's just a straight four four. Uh-huh. It there is no meter change, but my brain wants there to be yeah. a meter change. Let's listen, and especially the the first chorus is cool because there's this little syncopation uh-huh. coming into uh, coming at the beginning of this first chorus. Now this is not Charlie Watts, which we'll no. talk about yep. later, but Kenny Jones. Yeah. So this is one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. But listen, Dude, that snare. Listen is to so, the kick and snare. It's so right. Yeah. And my my brain kind of every time the chorus rolls around, so it's uh, would you think the boy is strange? Let's see, ain't it strange? Ain't one, two, one, two, three, four. Right. I yeah. want there to be a Same. measure of two. Yeah. And then two bars of four. Yeah. But it's just two I'm, bars I'm of so four. I'm so glad you said that too, because I'm just, like, when does the this is gonna sound silly, but when does the chorus actually start? Uh huh. So I'm like, is this end of verse? Is this beginning of chorus? Yes. Yeah. The way they they. Yes. So it's just it's just a straight four, um, but the the kind of syncopation going on, the kick and snare, and then there's like a weird late snare, like that, an off offset yeah. snare hit at the beginning of that chorus, which makes you go, "Wait, was I right?" Like uh-huh. for a second, uh-huh. you you know that when the vocals hit that, ah, uh, that's, no, that's, that's the, the one. one. Yeah. yeah, same. But, but you're, I get it. Yeah, here it is one more time. So that light snare, man. It's easy to get yeah. fooled, and yeah. I'm not too cool to admit that uh-huh. I have occasionally gotten fooled by that and <laughs> gone, oh, oh, snap, uh, I was in the wrong spot. But it, as a matter of fact, sometimes even still, it's easier for me to count. This is stupid. It's easier for, for me to count a bar of two and then a bar of six than it is for me to think two bars of four, four. <laughs> it's eight counts either it's way. No but sometimes I think, uh, ain't it strange? And two, three, four, five, six. Oh, no. Oh, man. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. it's I know, not I know. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> oh, no. It's only rock and roll. <laughs> oh, no. The song is in the key of E um, originally, but when they do it live now, they do it in B. And whoa, yeah, that's not right. It's not like they dropped it a half step. They 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 do it in B, which is. Do you a, have a live recording a of that? Lower, yeah, I'll find one. And they did it. Get this. So okay, you can hear why. Okay, and I'll explain. Here's why you would drop this song by a fourth, um, and not just like by a step. Not go to D. I mean D. I could understand. It's because listen to the listen to the vocals on the chorus. Play this next line. Okay, so what you've got going on here is what you call a split octave unison. Okay, yeah. you've got Mick doubling his own vocals. One of them is low. I know it's on the rock and roll, but I like, I like it. it. If you do that live, it has no energy. Okay, the other part is freaking high. Yeah, right. That's an A. <laughs> And Mick is not trying no. to do that every night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and and he said, basically, they realized as soon as they started playing it live that that was a problem. Yeah. Okay? And so they, they're like, crap, we... The, the, uh, the article that I read, I think it was Wikipedia... It, it reads like he said we recorded the song in the wrong key like oops by accident uh-huh. you know what i mean but what he what it, what it means is he realized later we should have done this in a different key so right? that yeah so that we can 
duplicate it live more easily and yes. readily. And so this came out. So like, and you can hear, so it's a really high chorus on the high part, oh, yeah. which is what you would have to do to make it have energy. And he wasn't really hitting it flush yeah. in 74. Yeah, he's right? not quite getting, it, it it's gets a, there. It's a little but, loose. So there's no chance it's happening now. Yeah, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. And so as early as their 1977 live album, Love You Live, it was okay. a B already. Oh, man. So, so they three like, years later, they're like, we already Right away. Adjusted. Yeah. So I, here it is. Um, here it is from that album, Love You Live. A little faster. Yeah. It doesn't really lose anything. You know, it's fine, yeah. right? It's uh, yeah, it doesn't bother me. Not a big problem. So uh, it, it you know. should. Like it's so dip. Like on paper, that's yeah. a completely different song because of the where it falls in the register. It's funny because it kind of adds vocally some some energy to the verses, mm-hmm. right? Because it's up higher on the verses than it is. Yeah. So ain't it strange? It's a little more powerful on the verses, and then the chorus is just fine. It's mm-hmm. you know, and you still have what you have here that you don't have on the. Uh, original recording is a more present harmony, mm-hmm. right? So you hear it live, yeah. and they got the chorus, the harmony. Going, I know it's only rock and roll. So it, you know, which it ends up in the same range as the original vocal. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how they got around that. I'm trying to think how he plays, how how Keith plays it. Then, like, if that riff, like how yeah. he's that would be. If I wrote a song like this is the way I want to, or I'm thinking of playing it. To change it from E to B is going to be a completely different finger position. It's not like you can. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And and you know part of what you have and the Stones aren't using capos. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the things that you have that kind of drives the verse that leads me to another music note on this is that that open E. Yeah. Right. You've yeah. got that like syncopated electric guitar, and so to to do that in B, let's see what he does. Let's see what he's doing on the verse. Oh, he's just, just a straight just, part. Yeah. yeah, it's just he's just all just right. We're playing beat, yeah. but you don't get the sound of that open E. There's yeah. something special about that yeah. open E and the top two B, uh, plucked, E and B strings on a guitar. You no, know, it's just open plucked. Yeah. yeah, I get that. And so, okay, let me go back then to the original. Um, and how about on the original? How far pan left that guitar is. Yeah. Can you hear it in your head? Uh, headphones? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the first thing. I, that's why I, I literally took my headphones off and was like, I just want to make sure I'm on the right side <laughs> because it's definitely left yeah. as far left as can be. That's right. And you've got you get acoustic guitar on the on the right side, and you get that electric pan hard left. Um, but so okay, let let's listen again to this guitar part and what's going on here. I'll go second verse here. All right, now, hold that in your brain, okay? Mm-hmm. Hold that in your brain, and I'm going to play you a song from three years earlier. And just tell me what you think. This is Bang a Gong, Get It On by T-Rex. It's right. 
Panned right. Yeah, hard right, yeah. Dude. Yeah, man. Oh, that's so good. Which, by the way... It's a great song. How did we not talk about this song when we talked about NXS? There is so much Michael Hutchins in this delivery. Vocal, yeah. Even that line. That sounds like an NXS line. You're dirty, sweet, and you're my girl. Anyway. You may know the Power Station version of that. Yeah. There could, you know, the Robert Palmer on vocals. Um, but anyway, that song came out. Three I think we years talked about before. that with our Dave Barnes episode. Go we back probably and listen did, to yeah. that. So that that the T Rex version of that came out three years before. It's only rock and roll, but I like that's it. that's awesome. And it's got that very similar. Yeah. Right. I mean that the the feel is. A hundred percent the Absolutely. same. Absolutely. Uh, and even kind of the guitar tone, maybe a little more distortion on the T-Rex version, um, you know, which for 1971 is, is pretty heavy. But I, I haven't seen any sort of like accusations of, well, I've seen from like internet commenters, you know, accusations of theft there, you know. Yeah. But is T-Rex British? British band? UK I band? Know. I should know more about I them. feel like maybe I love that so, song. I, don't know. I love that song. Yeah, it's a no, dope song. We got to cover it at some point. Get me T-Rex on the phone. <laughs> any dinosaur. Yeah. Um. Okay. It is said that uh, it's only rock and roll, but I like it. Is about the um, like increased theatrics of of like glam rock artists, uh, you know, uh, and like Alice Cooper who was doing like weird stuff on stage by this point. You know what I mean? Big stage acts that are like creepy and weird uh, and kind of over the top. Let's say if they only the, know what's to come with the tubes. Yeah, the, yeah exactly. That's exactly what I thought of the yeah. tubes. Yeah, and like Lady Gaga. Yeah, and like you know <laughs> yeah. stuff that's really 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 wild. Um, but Mick said in 1993. Uh, the idea of the song, this is a quote, the idea of the song has to do with our public persona at the time. I was getting a bit tired of people having a go, all that, oh, it's not as good as their last one business. The single sleeve had a picture of me with a pen digging it into me as if it were a sword. It was a lighthearted, anti-journalistic sort of thing. Um, this is from Wikipedia. Jagger said, uh, Jagger also has said that as soon as he wrote it, he knew it was going to be a single. He said it was to answer to everyone who took seriously what he or the band did. According to Richards, there was opposition to it being a single, but they persisted, saying it had to be the next single. He said that to him, that song is a classic, quote, that song is a classic, the title alone is a classic, and that's the whole thing about it, unquote. Um, which, that part, I 100% agree with. The The idea of this song is... Is is everything? Yeah, like yeah, it's what I was talking about earlier. Being able to just go, this is what it is, and I can I can be okay with that, right? Yeah. Like I don't have to put this up against something else. I can like this for what it is, and it doesn't have to compare to something else that I like. Absolutely, you know what I mean. And what a thing! What a way for like you, if you're listening, to be able to look at the thing that you do, right? The thing that you pour your heart into. And to to be able to say about the thing that you do, yeah. if it's art, if it's music, if it's a podcast, it's only it's, if it's baseball business, cards, but I like it, right? Yeah, yeah it's whatever like, it is, it's your thing. Yeah, it's like you know, this may not be um, high art. Uh -huh. This may not be um, you know, this may not be the uh, greatest cinematic achievement, right? My student film yeah. or whatever, right? But. It is what it is, and I like it. Yeah. And and it's Good. it's only what it is. You know what I mean. Yeah. And I can be happy about it. You know. And that that 
the title of the song and the concept of the song is the main thing that made me want to do this song when mm-hmm. we were talking about which stone song. Like, that's what yeah. I have a couple of people that have been like, you, you know, which stone song are you doing? Yeah. It's like, it's going to be this one. And they're like, really? And it's like, we'll show you why. Or tell yeah. you why. Like, yeah. Because there are charters that charted higher. Sure. There maybe are some that are like, that's not the best Stone song. Yeah. But to us, this one made sense. Right. So, so this, yeah, exactly. This is not their most iconic song. And we'll you talk know. about those. Don't worry. We're, yeah. we're going to get you your Stone stuff. And this album, they they were right in the middle of an, of an era um, you know, where it, it's funny to say, I, I'll, I gotta find the quote. Hang on. Here it is. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the album and the process of this. Okay. It was not a universally well-received or beloved album, at least originally. Some people would even say this was basically the end of the stones originality yeah. that there wasn't much that came new that was, that broke any new ground after this. Right. Um, and that there's a quote that I read somewhere that this was them in, in a, um, in a review of this album, that this was them basically coming to terms with being rocks, elder statesman. This was in 1974. Goodness gracious. <laughs> um, but their biggest selling albums actually came after this point. Like they may have had more iconic songs before then. A lot of their most known songs are before this, but some girls in 1978 tattoo you in 81, which had start me up uh, steel wheels in 89 voodoo lounge in 94, yeah. all huge albums. And voodoo lounge is the first one to feature Daryl. That's right. So yeah. great album. Um, and so, um, you know, it's like that they were just saying, we, we don't really care what you think. Right. And I'm not, I'm not going to go so far as to, you know, uh, saw myself in half on stage to try and make you think what we're doing is cool or good. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. It's only rock and roll. You know what I mean? And it's good enough for me. Yeah. Like it's fine. Good. So, um, the album itself did go to number one in the U S went to number two in the UK. I don't know what kept it from number one, but I should have looked that up. Probably something whack, right? (laughs) If we, if we know anything about that, it's probably something really whack. (laughs) Joe Dolce. Yeah. That he was really on a roll. Um, number five in Canada, it went platinum in the U.S., gold in the U.K. It was the final album to feature uh, guitarist Mick Taylor, who had stepped into the band after Brian Jones um, departed. Aside from songwriting and credit tensions, it appears to be that the final straw for Taylor was that the band didn't really tour off this record, instead opting to go straight back into the studio. It was produced by the Glimmer Twins. Do you know the Glimmer Twins are? Mm-mm. It's a pseudonym for Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. Okay. They are the Glimmer Twins. I didn't know that. Um, this seems like a good spot to meet the band, maybe, yeah, shall let's we? Do it. Okay. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet the band. Hey! All right, so we're going to meet some Rolling Stones. Let's, let's meet do, it. Let's do it. On lead vocals, Mick Jagger. Six decades. Who? Right, exactly. Sir Michael Philip Jagger. Michael. Michael, Michael Phil- Philip. AKA Mick. Never knew that. Um, solo work as well. Dancing in the streets with yeah. Bowie. A little yeah. t- little Bowie teaser there for what's to come. Super group, super heavy with Josh Josh Stone and Damian Marley. His first solo, al- solo album, She's the Boss, uh, had Jeff Beck on guitar. Yeah. So I, you could talk about Mick Jagger forever. Yes. So um, And Beck apparently was one of the guys who uh, was considered for the band uh, after Mick Taylor left before uh, 
Ron Wood, like, or as Ron Wood came in, they also considered Beck and a few other notable guitars. Rory Gallagher, I think, was one of them, um, and and several others. On lead guitar, Keith Richards yep. um, was referred to as as Keith Richard. I don't know if you saw that pre S no. um, before he added in the sixties and seventies. He was Keith Richard. Huh. Um, so I, I didn't know that till I was looking through and, and learning on this, but definitely the uh, songwriting partner of of Mick Jagger all the, all the way through. Um, Is that how like people like to add an S to the end of business names? Like, Maybe. I'm going to go to Blockbusters and get me a video. Walmart's? Like, yeah. Like. <laughs> no, but Blockbusters is actually what it is. Ooh, no. is it Blockbuster? Oh, no, no, no. It's Blockbuster. Oh, wow, you're right. Yeah. That's so crazy. I've heard it as Blockbusters <laughs> my whole... That's so funny. That's great. Um, yeah, inducting the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I mean, has written tons of, tons of stuff. Uh, we could, again, another person that I could, could expound on for, for hours, but for the sake of the... And I mean, it's hard. I mean, he's been alive since the 1600s, so... <laughs> Right. You know, dude, he has looked old since day one. He's yeah, he's always looked in, old. Uh, yeah, I bet as in like junior high, he probably had like he just looked old. Yeah, you know, he he pro- yes, he probably looked like um, Iggy Pop age in high school. Yeah, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Um, he took over as the band leader when when Brian Jones left. Um, but we'll talk a little bit about that as we move on. We'll actually we'll go to Brian Jones next. Guitars, keyboards, percussion, um, other instruments, he did it all. So yeah. Brian Jones was a wonderful musician. Drug and alcohol problems led him to being kicked out and replaced by Mick Taylor, who I'll talk about here in a minute. Um, he drowned in a swimming pool less than a month later. Um, some actually theorize he was murdered by Frank Thorogood. I don't know if you heard this. Really? No. He was a builder that was doing some construction work on the property. Um, and there's a movie called Stoned that um, I haven't I haven't seen, but I want to I want to watch it. Um, it's it's about the life of Brian Jones. He actually founded the Rolling Stones. Um, great musician, and I mean I'm gonna say maybe the best musician, if you would, of all the that Stones they that they've that they've had. Uh, drums, bass, guitars, keyboard, slide guitar. He's an open tuning guy. He's okay. a open E, open G. Um, player um pretty religiously even when not playing slide um on bass i'm just gonna go original bassist and talk about bill wyman for a minute Mm -hmm. and then we'll we'll get down through here um was asked to join the group as he had a spare vox ac30 amp i love the story (laughs) of that when you've got the gear and you make the group because you've got the gear love it um he patented his own bill wyman signature metal detector so he's a yeah he's got a he's a big metal detector guy okay so yeah started on piano till age 13 um and and then played piano and then swapped to guitar around 18 and then switched to bass um and he made his own fretless bass by removing the frets on a Dallas tuxedo bass okay um so he made his own fretless i would never have the nerve to try and do something <laughs> like take the frets off my you know right <laughs> um the uh so Wyman's this is this is crazy i'm going to have to read this cuz I'll, I'll mess this up if i don't say it right Wyman's son Stephen married Patsy Smith, the 46-year-old mother of Bill's ex-wife, Mandy Smith. So, get this. So, Bill became the father-in-law of his ex-mother-in-law, as well as the step-grandfather of his ex-wife. <laughs> I love that. It's wow. my own grandpa. The song, yeah. yeah. Dang. It's the. It's the, my. Let me read that again. Yes, please. So, because for those of y'all that are taking notes with a pen and paper, like, let me write this family tree down. Wyman's son Stephen okay. married Patsy Smith, 
who was the 46-year-old mother of Bill's ex-wife, Mandy Smith. So Bill became the father-in-law of his ex-mother-in-law, as well as the step-grandfather of his (laughs) (laughs) ex-wife. Dang. That's maybe my favorite fact of the whole research session. Wow, that's that's bizarre. That's pretty freaking awesome. Uh, that's like one of those logic puzzles yeah. that's like Bill ate the purple ice cream, uh-huh. you know what I mean? Uh, and um, Andy's ice cream was a different color. You know what I mean? Those uh-huh. like logic where you have like five people's names and then little boxes like, to check yeah, off. What color? Yeah, exactly. He, who finished the ice cream first? Uh-huh. You know, whatever. Yeah, that's good. Um, Charlie Watts on drums, um, the Wembley Whammer. It's a good nickname. Um, <laughs> that is great. Uh, he was a graphic artist that was trained in jazz. Um, okay. D- and do you hear jazz elements in Stones? N- maybe little snippets, but not heavily. No, it's much it's more jazz. blues. Yeah. Blues is, is the influence on so much of the early, like, British invasion. Um, not, not British invasion necessarily, but, like, the... Um, but blues are, are what the the Beatles started with a lot of blues influence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Doing their versions of of blues songs. Yeah. And and um, a lot of what you hear from Stones, Cream, um, you know, early stuff like that, Yardbirds, is the. It's funny the UK is what made blues famous and cool. But it was birthed here in the U.S. Yeah, in the Mississippi Delta yeah, and you know, all that stuff. The, it's like the, the blues was not getting its appreciation, its proper due here in the States as an art form. And then these U.K. artists started hearing it, and it was hard to get there. And so that was an element, too, of like it was a rare thing. So when you could find it, you really appreciated it. And um, and they were like, these songs are amazing, and they start doing it. And so then blues kind of catches on here in the States as as something that was more of a you know, something to be appreciated. Yeah. But a lot of it on a larger scale, on a, on a mainstream it scale. It got a shot in the arm from the UK, that's yeah. for sure. Which is such a weird thing to think about. Yep. He was the drummer from 1962 until death. Yeah. So, and that, in he died 20, in 2021. So, yeah, that's crazy. Um, was it 2021 or was it 22? 21. Okay. Yeah, August of 21. Okay, okay. So, um. Mick Taylor, I don't want to skip on him as he's important years of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Sticky Fingers album, I mean Brown Sugar. Let's play a little Brown Sugar. Let's let's start playing some clips a little bit. Let's play Brown Sugar. By Maxwell? <laughs> In uh, 2011, Rolling Stones voted him the number 37 best guitarist. Okay. Man, how's that for a bounce back, uh, like a delay... You could just hear those guitars and know it's a Rolling Stones song. For 100%. And that groove, like that sort of simple driving groove. Brown sugar. So, yep. Now, uh, Ronnie Wood on guitar since 1975. He was in Faces and the Jeff Beck group. Um, He became an official member in 1976 but not a financial partner till Bill Wyman left in 93. Mm. So Mick and Keith always with that, that money mindset. Um, Ronnie Wood played uh, at Clapton's Rainbow Concert. So he's he's the other guitar player at yeah. Clapton's Rainbow Concert. So, okay. Um, touring now. So I want to talk about who's touring now 
with the Stones. Okay. Um, Chuck Level on on keyboards and backing vocals, who we've talked about um, on other episodes and will talk about on future episodes. Um, Bernard Fowler, uh, backing vocals and percussion since 1989. Matt Clifford on keyboards, French horn, and he's the musical integrator is his title. He's been doing that. He did that from 1989 and 90 and then 2012 till the present. Um, on sax and keyboards, Tim Rice, 99 till now. Carl Denson on saxophone from 2014 till now. Sasha Allen on backing vocals and co-lead vocals on Gimme Shelter, mm-hmm. um, 2016 till now. One of the just powerhouse um, vocal performances of all time. Man, and we're going to talk about it here in a minute with, uh, with yeah, Mary Clayton and everything. Uh, drums, 2021 till now will be Steve Jordan. So playing playing with them. The guy uh, who fell asleep in the session for Pina Colada song. There you go. Go listen to our interview with Rupert Holmes. That's a that's a fun one. And on bass guitar since 1994, Daryl Jones. Y'all hang around. Y'all are really going to like to to hear from him. 1994 Voodoo Lounge was the first project that he came in. That mm-hmm. tour grossed 320 million dollars, which was the highest grossing tour at the time. Yeah. So 320 million dollars, and this guy's the bass player on it. Stones. It's funny for 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 a group that allegedly peaked in the in early the 70s. 70s yeah. Their tour is always like one of the top two or three tours in the world. Absolutely. They just can't stop selling out tours. It's yeah. crazy. But, um, you know, I imagine till the day they hang it up, they'll be, you know, it's, it's so funny because they did what, you know, people wanted the Beatles to do, but couldn't get mm-hmm. right. They stayed together. Yeah. And like, kept going and, and never fell off the cliff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, they would put out, you know, they weren't necessarily topping the charts at all times, but it's like, um, well, it's like, you know, Billy Joel sells out Madison Square Garden every month, you know, and he's not even touring. He's selling out the same city every month, yeah. you know, and he has been and he's for playing years the same now. songs, maybe yeah. some different, maybe some slight tweaks to the set list. Yeah. But yeah, it's like at a certain point you just become an institution, and people just go see you to, mm-hmm. to appreciate yeah. your body of work. Yeah, you know? people will plan trips to New York to go see Billy Joel. Right, and yeah, same. Yeah, so it's like if you get a chance to go see the Stones, you go see the Stones. Yeah. you know. You mentioned Ron Wood, uh, and he has a kind of another connection to uh, it's only rock and roll, but I like it, which is most of what you hear on the album version is the original recording of this song, which was actually a demo that came out of kind of a jam-slash-writing session at Ron Wood's house. Uh, Ron Wood lived at this estate in the UK, and uh, Ron at the time was the guitarist for Faces, Rod Stewart's group, but um, after this album, he would become a a member of the Stones. But he was jamming at home with uh, Mick, and uh, that would be uh, Mick Jagger, not Mick Taylor, um, David Bowie, Willie Weeks on bass, and Faces drummer Kenny Jones. Keith Richards later redid the electric parts, and he kept, but he kept Ronnie Wood's acoustic 12-string part. That's where you hear Ronnie on acoustic, and left the rest of the parts. So most of what you hear is from that original session at Ron Wood's house. So it's got Kenny Jones on drums. Yeah, Kenny Charlie, Jones, that's right, and, and, and Willie Weeks on bass, and David Bowie on background yep. vocals. So um, kind of an interesting other little you know color to this thing. It sounds very Stones. Yep. You wouldn't go... Uh, unless you're very, very, very familiar with like Charlie's playing, yeah. you know what I mean. It's got that feel, uh-huh. right? It's got that same kind of feel. And even Willie's bass tone isn't that different. It's yeah, probably yeah, not not that different to me. Yeah. Uh. Okay. Let's see. 
You want to hit some songs? Let's just hit, sure. Let's hit some songs. Rolling just, Stones appreciation time. So here we'll just we'll just hit a few. Paint it black. Let's start there. All right. Uh, melodies played by Brian Jones on sitar. Um, it's kind of their psychedelic raga rock um, in all kinds of movies. Uh, most notable for me is Full Metal Jacket, but. Weirdest time I ever heard the song was at a funeral. No. As they carried the body in. No. Promise. No. I'll tell you whose funeral it was after we record. Yeah. I think this recently got used in the um, Wednesday series, maybe, on Netflix. Okay. I that need to watch sense. that. I hear it's really good. And But I, I saw in some trailer for something where they're like, you know, the, the thing now is to take a classic song, make it sound epic, and put it in a movie trailer. You yeah. know what I mean? They're uh-huh. like, we're big hits. Boom, I see you. Boom, door and Boom, 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 boom. You know, and it's like gunshots with every yeah, hit or whatever, uh, you know. That's good. <laughs> I think somebody did that recently with that with that song. I can't remember what song it was, though. Um, Jumpin' Jack Flash. Um, let's play a little of that. Mm-hmm. One guitar is tuned open D, capo two. Okay. And the other is uh, Nashville tuning open E. Okay. Um, this is the band's most performed song live really? to date. This okay. is the one they played live more than any. Have we talked about Nashville tuning before? I think we have. Talk about what? Nashville tuning? I don't know. So let's, in case we haven't talked about Nashville tuning, or obviously we haven't in a while, Mm -hmm. um, the Nashville tuning is where you take the the first three strings of of an electric guitar and tune them like normal, standard tuning, E, B, G. And then the bottom three strings, what would be the lowest three, D, A, and E, you tune them an octave up. I think, I thought it was two and four. I thought E and B were changed. And I th- let's check that. Okay, yeah. Because I think it's G, D, A, and E are tuned an octave above. Check on that and see. I could be. Let's let's check that. I thought it was two and four. All right. This is Wikipedia. Nashville or high strung tuning refers to the practice of replacing the wound E, A, D, and G strings yeah. on a six string guitar with the lighter gauge strings to allow tuning an octave higher. Yeah. So okay, so yeah. it's only the first two strings. That's, it's two and four. That keep yeah. normal. Um, what do you mean two and four? Oh, four strings and two strings. You were oh, saying three oh, and three. Oh, that's. I okay. was hoping I was saying that right. I, I'm sorry. I was thinking you were saying like the second and fourth string, and I was like, that sounds so confusing. No, 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 no. no. Okay. No. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Four and two, not three and three. Four on the top, two on the bottom or top, yes. depending on how you're looking at it. Okay. So what you end up with then is the what would normally be the lowest four strings mm-hmm. tuned an octave higher, and it gives you this really chimey 
kind of like almost like Rickenbacker 12 string yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can give you kind of a chorusy, shimmery sound too. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Two, two and four. I'm with it now. Next time. No wonder, you know, when I'm trying to, it's just not sounding quite right. And uh, man, I've been trying so hard. And that's why it was that G doggone it. Okay. Uh, what else? Next song. Got another track oh, yeah, you want to hear? Yeah, that's good. Um, I'll just, um, let's go, uh, I guess, Satisfaction. Here's a parenthesis for you. I can't yeah. get no. I can't get no. Satisfaction. satisfaction. Also with a, a, a apostrophe. It should be, I cannot get no satisfaction. But no, the apostrophe. Saving the day. Okay, now. We just listened to the intro to this song, okay? Tell me, tell me what the bass is doing. Sits on the one, huh? Sits on the one, right? No, Mm-mm. take another guess. Is it going boom, boom, Is it following? It's the- not following that melody line. It's it's on the one. It starts on the one. Tell me if you were if you were to play play the chords. Um. Yeah. Can't get. I'd pedal just tone to the it. intro. Okay, I'd pedal tone it. Boom, boom. All right. Boom, boom, so probably. listen to what the bass is doing, and I can't get no satisfaction. So you've got the um, it's it's following the it's, um, is it hit the riff? With the, okay. Boom. So it is, but it doesn't stop there, okay. and that's what's interesting. That forever, I would have told you that it goes. So like the riff, are we in E? We're in E here. I think so, so the riff, the riff okay. goes B B B C sharp D, mm-hmm. right? Five five uh, five six flat yep. seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I would have told you that the bass goes E E okay. E F sharp G, right? Okay. To follow mm-hmm. right? One 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 two flat one, three. Two. Yeah. Okay, but what the bass does, the bass goes up to the four. The G bass sharp, goes A the, flat uh, to the to the A to a, a. Oh, to a four four to a four. Yeah. Okay. So the bass goes. Bum bum ba da da da. Listen okay, to the bass, hear. okay. While the while the riffs is going bum ba ba da da. Bass is going bum bum ba da 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 da. Isn't that weird? What's it? It starts on the one, the bum, second time. Oh, and it goes back down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, that's crazy. Weird. Good to hear on that. Good call. Um, number 31 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs. Um, he wrote this one in his sleep and recorded it on tape. Really? I uh, had no idea he recorded it. Oh, really? I woke no up, idea. recorded it, went it back to bed. recorded it on tape. I love wow. that story. It's a goodie. Um, how about let's go, you can't always get what you want. Yeah. Yes, Lady in the Red Poncho at Good the very one. start of the video waving looks just like my mom. Let's go. <laughs> like, I'll skip the children. What a sweet song. But if you try sometimes, you might find you get what you need. I mean, come, uh, dude, come on. And this is how the Stones do a ballad, right? Like, it's so good. Okay. That's such a good song. All right. Uh, start me up. I mean, come on. Um, I do know what song kept Start Me Up off of number one. Okay. Uh, because we covered it 
Season 2, Episode 4. That would be Arthur's Theme by wow. Christopher Cross. Wow. And Private Eyes by Hollow Notes. Those were the two songs that kept it. Wow. We were just talking before we started recording about the... If you haven't seen it, go to YouTube now and watch the clip of the Windows 95 launch where they played Start Me Up and the founders of Windows <laughs> in their khakis and polos dancing around to start me up. Like clapping, they've, clapping on one and four and two and three yeah, every now clapping and then. Up, they're, they're dancing as though they've never heard music before. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, classic. Yeah, just that groove. The Stones have a groove that nobody else really. It's like you said earlier. It's immediately identifiable uh-huh. as a Stones kind of groove, which is weird because it's not. There's nothing particular about it, uh-huh. but it just has a feel. They just have a feel. And I don't want to say it's basic because, but it's, but it it's is pretty simple. It's simple, uh-huh. but it just the but pocket Stones, that they yeah. sit in. It belongs to them. And you hear that guitar, and you just know that's. What it is. Yeah. So, um, one song left that I was going to talk about. Excuse me. Um, Give Me Shelter. We all know this from yeah. Adventures in Babysitting, right? That's where we all know it from. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Mary Clayton on background vocals. Heavy topics. I mean, war, murder, fear. It's not a light song, but I I love this song. Yeah, dude. Let's get, I'll just get to the big part at the end. Yeah. This song reaches heights. That goes hard. It goes hard. All right. I have a few more notes on the Rolling Stones, but maybe we should stump the genius first. Should we yeah, do let's that? Do it. All right. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. Stump the genius. It's time to stump the genius. I jump up and take your part. I take your part. All right. So we're going to play Stump the Genius. Uh, this is the most uncreative one I've done. Okay. But uh, I just let's just do it. This is Rolling Stones trivia. Okay. So it's pretty calm. Great. I normally do something a lot more creative. Y'all go back and but it's let's just do this. I'm going to fail this. For I tried sure. some different topics and none of them seemed to land. So okay. here we go. I think you'll do all right. So Rolling Stones named after which artist song called Rolling Stone? And you Muddy might Waters. Oh, That'd you be didn't need the multiple choice. Good job. Name, yeah, grab right, that bell. That. Uh, I'll do it later. Ding. <laughs> I can reach it. You can't. You literally had to get up and go, I think, farther than I would have. <laughs> I'll give you credit. There Muddy we waters. go. Muddy Waters. Nicely done. All right. Band, the Rolling Stones, banned from what popular TV show in 1964 because the fans were too loud? Uh, Ed oh. Sullivan, Tonight Show, Carol Barnett, Dick Cavett. Carol Barnett. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the best I come up with. Right. I'm going to, I'll guess Sullivan. And Sullivan. Very good. Nicely done. Two for two. Which stone was a Boy Scout? Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, Watts. 
I'm going to say Watts. It was Richards. Okay. He's a Boy Scout. Okay. How about that? Um, which Beatles song Jagger sang background vocals on? Okay. Oh. Revolution, Let It Be, Baby You're a Rich Man, All You Need Is Love. Baby You're a Rich Man? It's Baby You're right. a Rich yeah. Man. Very nice. We nice. need a new bell. Our bell <laughs> sounded sad. Our bell sad. <laughs> better days. Um, all right, last one. You got to get this to keep the 80%. All right. How many consecutive days did Keith Richards go without sleep? Four, six, nine. Wow. Uh, hmm. I, nine sounds the most outrageous. Nine I'll go with nine. outrageous. Right. Wow. Nine days without sleep. Holy cow. Yeah, that's crazy. That's what did that to him. I mean, <laughs> he is a vampire, so I guess it makes sense yeah. that he could like go for a long period. Okay, a little more on the Rolling Stones. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, class of 1989. Let's uh, highlight that class a little bit. Here's the uh, company with which they were inducted. Uh, Dion, the Ink Spots, Otis Redding, speaking of classic bluesmen, um, the Rolling Stones, Bessie Smith uh, from my hometown, Chattanooga, the Soul Stirrers, Phil Spector, the Temptations, and Stevie Wonder, all in that Rock and Roll 1980, 1989 Hall of Fame class. Um, they uh, are the highest grossing rock band in history. That and they—that's one of the—they've—they've they've never stopped. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, the Beatles are still selling albums and albums and albums and albums. But they're not touring. But they're never touring. Yeah. And they weren't even touring there toward the end. So like, well, that's all you gotta do, guys. Is just be great for six decades. That's all. This piece of cake. Yeah, that's all you gotta do. So, no big deal. You uh, start now by the year twenty eighty two. Yeah. You'll be you'll be in the conversation. Yeah, for but you got to be room. good that long. Right, you can't just be around. No, you got to be good that yeah. long. Yeah, and you're gonna have to be better than the Stones because they'll still be touring. They'll still be going. That's they'll right. They'll still be like Mick will be 312. Yeah, still yeah. out there killing it. Uh, their famous lips and tongue logo is sometimes attributed to famed artist Andy Warhol because its first appearance uh, was in the liner notes of the album Sticky Fingers, which he designed. But the logo itself was designed by John Pache. Uh, P A S. C-H-E, so I'm going to say Pache. Sounds good. Pashy, Pash, John Pache. Not Peisty. No. He had designed a tour poster that Mick liked, and Mick asked him to design a logo for their label and suggested the Hindu goddess Kali the Destroyer as a starting point, as one would. Yeah, I mean, of course. that's a good starting point. Um, that's how I start my day every day. But uh, Kali is often depicted with her tongue out. And uh, Pace uh, simplified the idea to just the lips, teeth, and tongue and incorpor- incorporated kind of a facsimile of mixed lips into the design, and history was born. There you have that famous Rolling Stones logo. They have won three Grammy Awards, which seems low. Yes. Right? Yeah. Seems low. Uh, and a Lifetime Achievement uh, Grammy. And they were elected into the UK Music Hall of Fame in 2004, which seems late, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, if they're already in 89 in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, there's a cool version of It's Only Rock and Roll from Live Aid. The Stones themselves did not perform at Live Aid, but Mick did solo. Okay. And so he did It's Only Rock and Roll as part of a medley with State of Shock with Tina Turner as his. Uh, so he came out and did some stuff with her. She came out and did some stuff with him. It's only rock and, roll, and they crushed it. And they're really, you should watch the performance. I mean, they are really intense. They're. I was going to come watch it because I want to see, what is that horn section? Is it a live Oh, yeah, it's horn? a full, yeah, it's a full band. And they are, I mean, they're like very close to each other. The, like the, <laughs> And at one point, Mick actually 
he takes his shirt off, <laughs> leaves the stage, comes back wearing a blazer and no shirt and a different pair of pants. And then he at one point rips off Tina's tearaway skirt, and which they had sort of like loosely planned before the performance. Uh-huh. And when I say loosely planned, I think Mick was basically like, I'm going to tear your skirt off. <laughs> and Tina was like, okay, I guess we got to go on stage now. Like it was like oh, that kind of thing yeah. where it was, it was not as pre-planned as the like, uh, Justin Timberlake, yeah. you know, Janet like they, they were trying to have a moment and something went wrong. It was more like Mick was trying to come up with a wild idea that would get some attention on the cuff. And he was like, I'm going to tear off your skirt. Now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so that's a little problematic at this point. What else do I have? What else do I have? There's another cool cover of it's only rock and roll that I found. Um, and it's called artists for children's promise. Have you ever heard of this? Uh-uh. It's a, you know, it's one of those charity? charity things, right? But it's a really good one. Okay. Like the version of this is cool. And listen to this personnel. Uh, hearing screaming, screaming children at this concert. I like that tempo compared to the yeah. others. It's a little tighter. All right. That's Kid Rock. Okay. Gosh, I don't mind it. No, it's good. I hate so, Kid Rock, but I don't mind that. Listen to this group. Kid Rock, John Bon Jovi, Ozzy Osbourne, Spice Girls. There's Ozzy. Lionel Richie, Dolores O'Riordan from Cranberries, James Brown, Spice Girls. Oh, I said that again. Bonnie Raitt, Mary J. Blige, Jackson Goodness Brown, gracious. Annie Lennox, what? Natalie Imbruglia, <laughs> Gavin Rossdale from Bush, Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders, Iggy Pop, B.B. King, Joe Cocker, Robin Williams makes an appearance, <laughs> and Herbie Hancock on Cloud. What the heck? Yeah. That's amazing. It's wild. It's worth watching the video just to see all these people singing the song. It's crazy. And, of course, Mick is in there, too, singing, you know. That's crazy that you it's, name all those people, and you're like, we're going to give Kid Rock the first verse. Yeah. Gonna, I'd have been like, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> yeah, Kid Rock said in there kind of a bit. Oh, the dude from Jamiroquai, the lead singer of oh, Jamiroquai, yeah. he's in there, too. Uh, it's it's really interesting. The Brothers Osborne uh, and Warren Treaty have a cool, have a cool version as well. Um, but there's one other Stones thing that I need to play. For us, before we go today and close out this um, portion, don't yeah. you worry, we still got some time with Daryl. Yeah, but before we do this, I have to make a nod to a guy that honestly we haven't mentioned in a while, uh, and it's really been too long. This is Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> this is called the Hot Rocks Polka, and this is a polka made entirely of Rolling Stone songs. And he goes through, I mean, a whole bunch. Let's see how it ends. I can't remember what song he ends it on. Like, let's, let's spend the night together. Uh, of course, it ends with satisfaction. Yeah. <laughs> that riff on freaking accordion is awesome. 
Take it home. I can't get <laughs> I can't get no satisfaction, satisfaction, satisfaction. That's amazing. Man, love that guy. Weird Al, we're going to get you one day. One day. All right. Um, that's all I have. For now, it's good. <laughs> For now. But we're going to talk to, from the Rolling Stones and like so many other awesome things, we're going to talk to Daryl Jones in just a second. But first, what I need you to do is help us celebrate 11 seasons yeah. of the Great Song Podcast uh, by doing a few things. Grab your phone, go to Facebook, Instagram, all the uh, important social media things of all time, uh, YouTube, and uh, go subscribe to our channels there. You can be part of our fun little Facebook group. It is called Great Songs and the Great People Who Love Them Greatly. And if you would like to become a producer of the show, you can do that by going to Patreon, patreon.com slash greatsongpod. And if you choose to support the show on Patreon, you'll get not only our eternal undying gratitude, which is just insane. I mean, it just fills your whole life with warmth. <laughs> but like, uh, you also get bonus shows, our, our, our second show, The Catch up with Robin JP every week during the season, exclusive Patreon episodes, early release, ad free, all the all the ways that we can possibly say thank you. You'll get when you support the show on Patreon and become a producer. Uh, and you get your name in the credits every episode go. as a producer. How about that? So uh thank you to everybody who's listening. Thank you for everybody who for sticking with us for 11 seasons. Um and uh man, I can't believe we're kicking off the 11th season of the Great Song Podcast with an interview with one of the Rolling Stones. Awesome. Let's go talk to Daryl Jones. We'll tuck you in at the end. This is the Great Song Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, as promised, we are here with uh, bassist doesn't even seem to cover it. <laughs> bass, bass mega guru, Daryl Jones. Uh, he's, he's, he's just, it's hard to even, it's hard to even quantify. He's a bass player's bass player. You are a bass player, bass player's bass player. As hard as that is to say, uh, man, first of all, thank you so much for, for being with us today. It's a real treat to have you on the show. Man, my pleasure, man. I'm glad to be here. Uh, we It's not every day we get to talk to a stone, so we are <laughs> you know, quite excited about that. Um, but uh, let's start with that, that, that kind of concept, though, of being a bass player's bass player uh, and a musician's mm -hmm. musician, uh, which you obviously are. Um, but, uh, you know, you were part of, uh, Sting's initial solo band when Sting was, you know, and you did those first couple records with him. Um, uh, and, right. and what, well, so first. that seems like, uh, you know, a certain set of criteria going into like, okay, I'm going to be Sting's bass player. <laughs> so mm -hmm. how, what was that process like? Did he kind of put you through the ringer? How did that end up happening? Not at all, man. To the contrary, he was really, and you know, he, he was really, um, he really turned the bass chair over to me. Mm. And I remember I was playing, you know, a bass line that he wrote. And he was, you know, he was like, hey, man, you don't have to play that. That's not written in stone. And I was like, man, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's like, <laughs> if it's not broke, well, you know, I'm not going to try to fix it. Because he, he writes great bass lines. I mean, we know he's a great bass player sure. himself. And an incredible writer. Both of, you know, songs, lyrics, and bass lines. Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, Walking on the Moon, as simple as it is, is brilliant, yeah. you know? And some of that reggae stuff, man, Don't Stand So Close to Me. And uh, 
There's, you know, there's, you know, half a dozen men that are just incredible bass lines. So, yeah, yeah, right. he, he was, uh, he, he really did, um, he really did turn that over to me. And uh, a lot of times I ended up playing his, ended up playing his bass lines because they were so cool. Dude, I, I do love that during the Blue Turtles album. I didn't realize that Branford Marcellus is kind of how you ended up with stay or kind of the connection. There. I love the, I've already watched the documentary and it's fantastic. Um, so I got a lot from that, but I love those stories. So if you want to tell our listeners kind of how that connection happened, that's a, that's a great, well, you know, Branford was on, on, uh, Branford was on the, uh, on the bill with Herbie Hancock. He, he and Winton were playing with, um, um, Tony Williams, Ron Carter, and Herbie Hancock in a band called VSOP. And uh, so they were there the first night that I played with Miles. And that's how I met Bradford. And I don't know, they, you know, the press, you know, the pre- they were really coming down on, particularly when was kind of coming down on the guys who were playing like electric jazz. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so I was like, I'm probably not going to be, you know, too popular with them. <laughs> on the contrary, that first night that I played with, with Miles, they were, you know, they were very supportive and and told me that they thought I played really, really well with them. And and so that meant a lot to me. And, you know, Bradford and I just kind of, you know, got to be friends. We started hanging out a little bit. And then we recorded the decoy record with Miles. Yeah, yeah. Bradford's on that record. And, you know, so again, it just kind of solidified a, a you know, a friendship there. And so when Sting told him, listen, I'm going to start a band, but I'm not going to play bass. He was like, oh. You should get Daryl. I know the guy. That's awesome. That's and yeah, it. and so that's literally how that happened. It was through Brantford. Dude, and that mm-hmm. and for our listeners, the Miles he's talking about is Miles Davis. Yeah, nineteen eighty four. Just casually, just, just casually, drops, like, just Dave dropping Miles. Yeah, Davis. when I was like, playing with Miles, that decoy. That I mean that first track. I mean, out the gates, it's nasty, it's funky, it's awesome, and it's well, the world gets to meet you there. So yeah. that that's good. Yeah. Tell <laughs> tell our listeners the story of yeah. the audition <laughs> with Miles. The how it was going to be over the phone, and Miles just asking you if you could play like. I love this story. This is a goodie. Yeah. Well, you know, I was at home kind of, you know, washing dishes. My mom was chastising me for not taking gigs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I was watching dishes. Phone rings. And it's Vince Wilburn. Uh, Vince Wilburn Jr., uh, Miles' nephew. They had just been, they had just returned from Japan. And uh, when he got back, Miles decided he wanted to, you know, try a new bass player. And asked Vince if he knew anyone. And uh, so Vince called a few guys in Chicago. I think I was the second, I think I was the second or third call, but I was the one who answered the you phone. You picked up that's the phone. Up. That's good. That's, that's you it. Know. Lesson number and one, so, answer the phone. Yeah, <laughs> answer the phone. And so he says to me, you know, after I ask him, man, how was Japan? You know, it's great, great. He says, listen, Miles wants to hear you play over the phone. And I'm like, hey, man, quit messing around <laughs> a different word and um he said no man i'm serious miles wants to hear you play over the phone and i like you know was freaking out really but said you know i'm embarrassed to say that my bass was in the trunk of my mother's car as i said i had been practicing this other instrument i figured you know i'll work on that until people start calling me again you know and i wasn't playing bass and somehow i left a you know beautiful 66 jazz basin <laughs> in the trunk of my in the trunk of my mother's car so i go back to the phone i'm like hey man hold on i gotta go get my bass and he said no you hold on and, and miles gets on the phone and says damn when can you be in new york that's awesome and i'm like i'm like well it's miles davis and 
I don't want to seem too eager. So <laughs> it's a Monday. I said, I could be there. When? What's going to take you so long? You're going to walk. You know? <laughs> and uh, so I said, no, man, I, I'll be there early. First thing tomorrow morning. And I went in and uh, auditioned and uh, played, a, you know, slow B flat blues. And he uh, and he stopped me a couple of times and said, I mean, real slow. And so I played it slow. <laughs> And then he asked me to play along with um, with a recent board tape, like a you know tape of the gig that they they've been recent you know recent gig, and I did that for a little while. And him and Vince get up and walk out of the room, and Vince comes back in and says, "Okay, man, you got the gig." And I was like, "No, no, no, I want him to tell me." Oh, <laughs> dude, that's a flex right that's there. That's awesome. He comes out and you know he's playing around and he <laughs> hits me in the shoulder and says, "You got it." <laughs> well, then we go down the road uh, to the what, early 90s, uh, and Bill Wyman retires, and you audition to become part of the the Rolling Stones, uh, which to me feels like a daunting idea to begin with. I'm not even sure that I would have the intestinal fortitude to be like, yeah, I want to audition for this. Uh, is that? Did you have any trepidation about that, or are you the kind of guy that just goes, no, why wouldn't it be me? No, uh, you know, it's interesting, man, because a few years earlier, I guess Steel Wheels came out in what, 1989? Yeah, sounds right-ish. Yeah, a friend of mine, I was hanging out with a friend of mine in Italy, and she was going on and on about the Steel Wheels record, and and um, going on, it's great, it's so great, this is incredible. I remember saying to her, it's okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just all right, you know. <laughs> and uh, and as I listened, though, you know, because she was playing it a lot, and I listened to it, I started thinking to myself, you know, the way I play could work with that kind of band. It could work with that band, you know. I, I the way I hear them playing grooves, and you know what I what I'm hearing from them, uh, I could, you know, I think the way I play could work with them, you know. And so I guess I had it in the back of my mind. When the Stones thing happened, um, it was. I remember even when 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 I got the call that Bill Wyman was leaving, I remember kind of thinking to myself, "Man, I thought it was going to be with Keith, you know, with the Winos, but okay, God, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? That's this awesome. is the way it's going to be." Then you know, and I just went in and auditioned, and they were very. It was very casual. They were very, Mick actually told me, man, you know, we'll teach you the song and then we'll have the audition. So it was very informal. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't at all kind of strict and, you know, it was, they were, you know, they were cool. It's cool to hear, uh, it was cool to hear Keith say, you know, his style's kind of jerks rhythm around and you can't do that without solid backing um, and the fluidity that you provide. I thought that was great as a tie into that. And you, and you mentioned Charlie Drayton. I'd never met you before this, but he says, what a beautiful soul you are. And I got to agree with him. Like, that's a great quote. And I've only known you for 12 minutes, but I can't, can't argue with Charlie on that. No, man, he's, he's a dear, dear friend of mine, man, really, you know, an incredible it's an incredible musician, yeah. man. Great, he's got great songs, man. Wait till you hear his stuff. <laughs> One of my favorite uh, favorite spots with you as a Stone is on "Anybody Seen My Baby" off of the uh, Bridges to Babylon record. It's basically mm. I was telling JP like <clears throat> it's almost a bass solo, like you <laughs> yeah. know, especially like mm. you know early on in the song. It's just like you're just grooving and just laying oh, it down. Man, it's so thick. Deep. I'm trying to think. Wow, I got it. I don't even remember. I don't remember. I remember recording it. 
Yes, you know. Uh, wow, that's a deep one, that particular tune, man. I just remember as a kid, so as a kid, the Stones to me at that point were still kind of like my parents' music. And I right, right, really lived with them myself much, except for everybody knew Satisfaction and that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? But then there's like, I'm in high school and there's like this new cool Stone stuff coming out. And that was one of the first songs of theirs that really grabbed me as a, you know, as somebody who was interested in modern music, you know? So I was like, that is a, okay, the Stones are cool. That's a cool song, you know? <laughs> so, but it's and in large part due to the bass, bass work on that. I love it. My, uh, my deep cut or my, my Daryl Jones reach out. I love the Journeyman Project, the Clapton Journeyman Project. Mm. And so oh, you're, yeah. you're you get to play alongside two other great bass players in Pino and Nathan East on pretty much yeah, Pino plays on, on Bad Love and Nathan East is on the rest of the stuff. But you get to play mm-hmm. on Run So Far. How do you end up getting to be on that project for one one take? And how involved are you in the mix versus some because the you can t- it sounds like the bass player helped mix it. It sounds like the bass is, <laughs> really? is heavy. You know what, man? First of all, I have no idea. Russ Teitelman... Uh, was producing that record, and I remember I think it was him that called me. But I, I may, maybe had met him, you yeah. know, backstage somewhere or at some recording studio somewhere. But it was kind of a, it was it's kind of out of the you know a shot out of the blue because I didn't I didn't I had met Eric, um, you know, just you know from my you know association association with the Stones. He'd been on stage with us a number of times, but that was really kind of out of the blue for me. I didn't. That was really kind of unexpected. I had played a little bit with um, with Steve uh, Ferroni, who's on drums yeah. on some of this stuff. I had never played with uh, the other drummer who's on that record, um, Jim Keltner. Mm. Okay, I didn't Keltner, know yeah. Keltner was the other one on. Yeah, Keltner's on that record, and George Harrison, man, is <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. on that record. So it was, you know, it was pretty incredible for me. Uh, a great. Uh, that track Chance. sounds different than all the others on Journeyman. I felt it's like it's interesting just, because I haven't listened to that to that record for so long. That you know, song I kinda, is so different. Daryl's just moving back. on from I stuff, know, man. Right? He's it's just moving like on that. from stuff. Yeah, I got yeah, so much no, going but, on. <laughs> to be honest, this movie has forced me to kind of take a little bit more of a look back. Yeah, you know, and 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 I'm I'm really grateful, man. I, I think you know it. You know, I, like you say, you know, you kind of just you know done it. Okay, let's keep moving. What's next? What's next? But it, it 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 is useful, and uh, and I do feel really blessed, man, to have had you know the career that I've had up until now. So good start, sure, that's <laughs> right. Good first act. The documentary is great. In the blood, uh, everybody, make sure you check it out. Um, and in it, you you talk about becoming one with the music is one of the kind of early themes, uh, and letting the music you're playing kind of drive your choices as opposed to just being like, hey, this is how I play, and I'm gonna do my thing all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that kind of professional approach is evident as you would go from something like a session with Miles Davis into something less outside, maybe like the Stones. Um, mm-hmm. How do you coach a young player to kind of learn that discipline of giving yourself to the music and becoming one with it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, it's all about the song. What is the song telling you it needs, you know? And if, um, you know, if you're playing a bass line and you're just being purely supportive on all of these different chords that are coming along, but there's no spark, then, you know, then well, the song is telling you that it needs some spark. It needs you to, to maybe make some choices that are a little bit less conventional. And, uh, and so you do that. What are the other instruments playing? What are, you know, um, I, I try to let those things 
uh, inform what I do. And I guess that's what I would tell, you know, another musician is, you know, is like, you know, what, 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 what is the music around you telling you to do? What is the song asking of you, you know? And I think that, you know, as a general approach, that is, that's a good idea. You know, yeah, that without, was one of my favorite things that you talk about in the documentary is how you don't really have to be a virtuoso, but listening is a way into the magic. I mean, that's not a direct. No, answer. absolutely. That's, that's absolutely. Pretty, pretty close. Yeah. Um, and my other favorite thing that you talked about is your take on how you didn't want to be Michael Jackson, but you wanted to play with the best in the world. And I think that's such yeah. a great space to live in. Yeah, no, it's just interesting. It's just one of those things where um, being a musician was the, that was the default for me. It wasn't, you know, oh, I, you know, I, I wanted to be like, a, you know, the guy out front singing and dancing, and that didn't happen for me. So I became a, no, it wasn't like that for me. Um, I even think about, you know, the years that I spent, you know, um, I, you know, one of the things you speak about, you know, to, to speaking with younger musicians, um, I always tell younger musicians, pick up another instrument. If you play the bass, pick up a guitar. Sit down at a drum kit. It'll teach you a little bit more about the other musicians that you're playing with. That's not what I was thinking when I was when I was you know growing up. I was like, I want to be the you know I want to be the monster bass player who can do this and can do that and can do that. And so, um, that that was my that was my focus. I I, I didn't I didn't really want to be the guy out front. You know, it's that's that's kind of a new dream for me. You know, when we, you know, think about, you know, the, you know, the stuff that I'm doing on my own. So that's, that's more of a new dream. My original dream was just to be the, you know, the bass player that played with all the best people. Yeah. Well, let me, let me ask this and I know we're short on time, so I'll, I'll, this may not even be the question to dive into, but the, you know, there's always, people always talk about special connections between bassists and drummers. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we've, I mean, we're, we're just now on the other side of losing Charlie Watts. Um, you know, yeah. just kind of walk us through kind of a little bit of what that means. I mean, you guys were on the road, you know what I mean? It's like, it's going. And then all of a sudden Charlie's gone. What does that do in the band? What is it doing in you? Well, um, you know, it, it closes a chapter, you know, because, you know, the relationship between the bass player and the drummer is, is an important one, you know, um, and what you create with one drummer you can't really create that with another drummer. It's, it's, it's a kind of closed loop. It's, um, and so, um, uh, Charlie Drayton, you know, you know, when, when Charlie Watts died, he sent me a note and he just said, you know, you know, you and Charlie, you guys danced, you know, you danced together a long time. You know, he says, you haven't, you haven't danced that much with anyone, you know? And I guess, and so, um, you know, it's um, it's both. Uh, I'm both honored um, to have had the time that I had with him, and uh, and uh, very happy to be starting a chapter with this organization with Steve Jordan. But also, it's it's very sad because it's uh, you know the thing that he and I did together, the thing that he and I built together, beginning from when I started playing with the band. Um, I don't. I think that there's great stuff still yet to come because Steve is such a student of um, of what makes this band work, and 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 uh, and of uh, um, you know he's just he's such an astute musician, 
um, and producer that his look, his take on things, his look, the way he looks at things is, is, is pretty comprehensive. And so it's even it's so comprehensive that it's even forcing me to take another look and say, okay, how can we, how can we enrich this, you know, even more? How can we take the next steps? Because you know, we can't take steps back, you know? So, so it's, it's, uh, it's, um, but it's also, you know, it's very sad, man, because the thing that Charlie and I did together is, um, I mean, and thank God there's a lot of documentation of it. I'm very thankful. I'm really thankful for that, but I miss him terribly. And, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things, man. It's the, I'm, you know, I'm glad that we were out on the road when he passed away, because at least we had the music, even though, you know, even in that music, there's the bittersweetness of being able to play the music to kind of help heal ourselves. But you look around and he's not there. And, you know, that, that that's, there's some, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, um, sadness behind that. You know? Well, well, we we will not bring it down on a downer note. I was going to say, but I we, it down, but... we appreciated your vulnerability and the passion that was yeah. brought there. Mm-hmm. Chicago, yeah. South Side of Chicago, Bulls, Cubs, White Sox, Bears. <laughs> Who's your team? Who's your squad? Well, I should be. Well, if I, I'm not a really big you know sports fan, okay. but I would have to say I'd have to be a White Sox fan because I literally grew up on. The street that Comiskey Park, okay, was, you know, like on on State Street, basically Lafayette. It's not even State Street, but Bob yeah, so I that would a, make you a White Sox fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, hey man, it was it was incredible thr- thrill to watch uh, the Cubs finally win the you know the <laughs> World Series after eighty years or something like that. <laughs> um, that was really it was really gratifying, I and mean, that was a great night. Uh, I'm a um, I'm a sucker for a good deal too. So Doc's fish sandwich for a dollar forty-four. That is right up my alley. No, yeah, right. I have no idea what it is now, and it's probably <laughs> not quite the same sandwich as it was back then. But uh, yeah, no, that was a it was a great time in Chicago for that. You know, Chicago's a great town for food and for that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, well, we have one question that we ask everybody. We'll be respectful of your time. Uh, thank you so much, Daryl. This has been a blast. Yeah. Um, you've been been great. Um, so we ask everybody this question: You're on tour. Either pick it, whoever you're with, any of your uh, massive undertakings, and you go into a gas station. What is your gas station snack food of choice? And while you're thinking of your answer, I'll tell you mine. I get a Three mm-hmm. Musketeers bar. When I was growing up, my mom would say you could have any candy bar you want, and it's the most okay. ounces. So uh, I just get a Three Musketeers bar. <laughs> What is okay. Daryl's snack food of choice from a gas station? From a gas station. <laughs> um, from a gas station snack food of choice. Actually, a Heath, a Heath bar. Okay. There you oh. go. I really love toffee. I really dig toffee. And if I'm going to be real bad, <laughs> I would have to say a bag of uh, hot nacho cheese Doritos. Oh, there okay. we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, that's, all right. yeah, that's, that's not real bad. That's, that's not real bad. That's medium bad. That's, that's, that's medium. Middle, that's middle what's, worse, what's, what's worse than gastros oh, and the... Anything off the fryer <laughs> dipped in grease is, is just oh, a little bit worse. Are, are you like talking about like a, you know, a corn dog or something like that? <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not. No. So that's a, that's a little bit... De- that's, living on the, that's living on the edge for me a little bit. <laughs> Well, Daryl, this has been a blast. Keep doing what you're doing, man. This has been great. Thank you yeah. so much. We hope you had a good time. Thank you guys so much. Real I really pleasure. enjoyed talking. Be blessed. Appreciate your time. We'll see you. All right.
This is the Great Song Podcast. And that was Daryl Jones of the Rolling Stones. That's awesome. Holy cow. So, funny story. We have a listener named Tim Holloway that I was at Trivia with uh, not too long ago. Shout out, Tim. What up, Tim? Thank you. He's like, dude, when are you doing a Rolling Stones episode? I'm like, well, we're starting the season. He's like, what? I was like, oh, yes. So, it was so neat to have that in the in the, uh, in your in the cooker. It's yep. like, somebody throws something at you. It's like, well, why don't you do this? It's like, I got it. Bang! <laughs> so, thanks, Tim, for the support. Thanks, all you guys for listening. Uh, thanks to Daryl. Thanks to everything. It's yeah. been great. <laughs> thanks, Jesus. Thanks, Mom, for being in that video. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys uh, next week with another great song as Season 11 kicks off on the Great Song Podcast. Until then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.